<clears throat> Count your blessings, see what God has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. Before our lesson this morning, let's notice him 456. In 456. <clears throat> As I journey here mid the Atlantis, there's a rainbow, it's in the cloud. Oh, he will safely lead, I must have no fear, there's a rainbow. It's in the cloud. Yes, there's a rainbow that is shining. Yes, there's a rainbow. It's in the cloud. And when life's race is run and the victory is won, there's a rainbow. It's in the cloud. Oh, when the way seems dark and the night grows long, there's a rainbow. And when my way grows drear and no friends seems near, there's a rainbow. It's in the cloud. Yes, there's a rainbow that is shining. Yes, there's a rainbow, it's in the cloud. And when life's race is run and the victory is won, there's a rainbow, it's in the cloud. And when the storms are past, comes a bright day, there's a rainbow, it's in the cloud. And in that city fair, there's a crown to wear. There's a rainbow, it's in the cloud. Yes, there's a rainbow that is shining. Yes, there's a rainbow, it's in the cloud. And when life's race is run and the victory's won, there's a rainbow, it's in the cloud. Yes, there's a rainbow that is shining. Yes, there's a rainbow, it's in the cloud. And when life's race is run, and the victory is won. There's a rainbow. It's in the cloud. Amen. We thank God again for the special privilege to come into his presence and to represent him in our total lives. And we seek and welcome the fulfillment of his will in our lifetime. We emphasize that very much today that we're in the business of allowing God his chance in our lives to work out his will. 
that's not necessarily the background in which I grew up in, that God is over there working, making things happen regardless of what I do, basically was my understanding and the background out of which I worked and out of which I grew. But now with a, a more thorough study of the scriptures and understanding how God works, it puts me in the bullseye. And I can't expect God to work something out necessarily in my favor without my cooperation and my participation. And I admit hurriedly that that's somewhat removed from the way we tend to view things. We see God as an awesome power doing whatever he wills under all circumstances. But, and God has that power. And he may exercise that power. And he's shown from time to time that he will cause Pharaoh to go in a different direction than Pharaoh intended to go. Changing the surroundings in which Isaiah and Jeremiah lived. And the oppression of the Christians in the dispersion under Peter. That God does do things. And we are not in control of that and neither do we wish to control that. Because the important thing for us to understand is what is my role in the doing of God's will. We're not spectators. We are participants in the unraveling of God's will. And I hope to make that uh, a profound impression upon you today and that it penalizes you as much as it penalizes me. Not because I love company and being in misery, but because that's just the way God does his things. As I've said before, I initiate again today to say that in my judgment and my lifetime, this church has an unusual opportunity to represent its God. And everything God wills to happen in this community, in this world, through this church, is at our doorsteps. And we have to see to it that God's will is done. Paul established missionary journeys and so forth because he saw God involved in his life, making things happen. Barnabas, same thing, Peter. And the great men of Scripture, the great people of Scripture, to include Phoebe and many other women, saw God at work in their lives. And unless we are willing to yield our lives to God for him to do his will in this world, in our time, then we're not really ready to be his disciples. It may sound hard, it may come hard, but that's the facts of how it is. The fact that I don't like it that way does not change it, and I've got to grow to understand that. God does not operate within the parameters of our likes and dislikes because God is in the business of bringing us to him and not us choosing the way we're going to go. We see that clear, pretty clearly when we talk about the denominational word and the division of churches. And ever having the church of your choice, we see, see quite clearly that that's not how God works. But when we bring it home, we become blindsided and cannot see that and I would ask you why would God change as against my denominational brethren why would he change when he gets to me 
And those are the kinds of hard questions we have to ask and deal with. And again, I say to you, the fact that you do not like that or that I do not like that and I do not welcome that, it's important for me to understand that does not change God one bit. Not one jot, nor one tittle shall pass from the law until all have been fulfilled. So it's a tremendous opportunity we have seeking the opportunity to know and to serve God. We have been uniquely positioned, and I think that some of you perhaps take that as preacher brogue and things that we're just saying, but I believe deeply in my heart and my life that we are on the line for God and we're answerable to him for how we respond to his will. Paul pointed out in the 16th chapter of uh, Corinthians that there's many opportunities as we have them here, but there are many adversaries. For every opportunity, I remember Brother R.N. Hogan told me when I was uh, in my early days of preaching, seeing my talents and ability and commitment, he said, Harrison, I want, son, I want you to know that for every opportunity you have, there's opposition to you. And I found that to be true. There's always something to block me from getting what I need, what I want. And uh, I have to be willing to allow God to go to work in me to overcome that block. I can't ask him from the canopy of heaven to come down and change that, but I can't ask him to give me strength and commitment and dedication to what he wants me to do so that I can overcome. And in my judgment, that's why we fall short so often. We get frustrated, we get disgusted, we throw down the mantle and everything. The work still goes undone. I can get as frustrated as I want to about the church at Simpson Street and your shortcomings and won't come to church on time, won't show a lot of interest when you're here. That doesn't change God's will for me one bit. And we got to understand that. Though I plead and I pled, the reaction and the response to that, what I know to be right, does not modify what God expects out of me. We appreciate you and your effects and your efforts and your prayers for the success of this great work under God. Now today I want to try to challenge you in an area that speaks to what I've just preemptorily said. Set for the defense of the gospel. Now that's a profound concept to me that comes to Paul in the Philippian letter where he talked about his life in prison, etc. And he wraps it up after all the difficulty that he has, not a whole lot's going to his favor. He's thankful to the church for its prayers, the fidelity of the saints, and how they are trying. But he wraps it up and says, but I'm set for the defense of the gospel. That's saying, I'm here regardless of what you do, regardless of what hell does, regardless of what heaven does, etc. That's not where my, I get my impetus from out of my relationship to God.
He talked about all he had gone through, but I am set for the defense of the gospel. And I've spoken to you a number of times and said that I think unless we get into Scripture and speak and hear from the issues that are being raised and look at our lives in responsiveness to those concerns, we're not going to have the church that Jesus Christ talked about. I know that has its limitations. So today I hope to challenge and to charge the hearers to assume the responsibility of living out your faith. Living it out, not an advocation, but a reality of expression. To live that out, what you believe about God, his church, Jesus Christ, allow that to emit from your life as people consider you. Paul talked about being not on tables of stone, but on fleshly tables of human hearts. Written and read by all men. You are the greatest pronouncement of God's word to this community. It cannot be overlooked. It cannot be bypassed. Your fidelity is the answer. And if you shall fall short of that fidelity, the church falls short. And what I'm trying to do in my ministry with you to get us to understand that. We've been so allowed to think otherwise that our, even our intents are warped. Because we can only act out of what we know. But I'm saying we need to change the whole scene and understand it's God in us. And his demands on, on, on us are no less than those of any generation. So I'm challenging you today to let your life be an example of your faith and support of the gospel. And you have to hang free to do that. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways, saith the Lord. This letter to the church, uh, to the Christians at Philippi, was jointly written by Paul and Timothy as a commendation and as a challenge. He's always challenging us. He challenges us to be faithful and to express gratitude. He expresses gratitude to the saints at Philippi for their increasing reliability and identity with the faith. I can depend on you more than I could you're growing, you're developing, you're not there, but you're moving in the right direction. That's a message we need to get because there is growth. There is development at Simpson Street, but every time you step up to the plate, it enhances that. It cannot be done without you. And because God wants it done, he put us here together, and we've got to understand that. That the jobs that we have, the homes that we own, are not first, even though uh, they are seriously important. But God and his will for our lives 
and our ability to increase our reliability and identity with the faith is very important. Though our outward man perish, our inward man is being renewed day by day. And our light afflictions, which are but for a moment, working for us are far more exceeding an eternal weight of glory. The letter expresses appreciation for their remembrance and for their fellowship. He felt connected to that church that had existed since their beginning. They had not grown weary. They continued to increase and to grow forward. Not perfect yet, but moving in the perfection direction. The letter expresses every faith and every confidence in the Philippians that they will continue to perform and to grow so that God will, so, and that God will continue to perform, great, great statement, his great work in you. You can't get no better than that. I'm looking forward to your continuing to grow and to develop so that God of heaven can continue and realize and increase his great work in you. Now that does not lock us down and does not move us to a different and deeper level of sincerity. We may have to ask if we have not already been sent a strong delusion that we would obey a lie rather than the truth and refuse to be built up in the direction of Jesus Christ. This letter of Paul to Philippi is similar to my continued expressions of faith in the Simpson Street Church of Christ. And I try to tie into that. I should be just as encouraging to this church as Paul was to the church at Philippi. That I should be looking out to see the good things and the great things the church is doing, even though it needs to grow. Thank God for what you got. That's the Pauline, that's the New Testament direction, and nobody does a better job than that of Paul. I hardly remember ever reading a letter that he's written where he's not thanking the people for their prayers and their ovations and relationships. So I believe in the Simpson Street Church of Christ as its minister and as a member of this church as strongly as Paul believed in the church at Philippi. And it is my sincere hope that we, you and I, would so live that God can perfect his work in us. We are the instrumentalities through which God works. And that that would be perfected in spite of the fact that there are many adversaries, as I mentioned before, according to 1 Corinthians 6 and 9. Yes, there are opportunities in God's grace for us to succeed in spite of opposition. We are the subjects and the recipients of God's grace. And God's grace exceeds the strength of the challenges that we meet and gives us an unparalleled victory and is in excess of what is expected. 
So many times I'm far more successful and uh, 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 the grace of God uh, overbounds and overextends what I was looking for. And if God is able to do that, he's willing and able to do that in us. But we've got to believe that. Turn loose of ourselves and commit ourselves to allow God the unparalleled victory and the excess, to the excess of our expectation because the good book says none can stay his hand. Our true challenge is how do we best identify with God so we can know God is at work here. It's all laid out in scripture. None can stay his hand. Even the powers of death, sickness, and all that hell has to offer cannot stay the hand of God. And the writer of the Matean epistle, he declared that even the gates of hell shall not experience victory over the church. Now that means that I've got to see myself as a part of that succeeding, overcoming, resisting church. I'm not privileged to take a seat on the back row and watch it happen. As you heard me say a number of times, I come again and say, like Obama says, we are the fulfillment of our expectations. If we are not willing to do it, what's your right for expecting it? You got to get off of the slave mentality and the welfare concept where people, others take care of us. We, with God's strength, are determined to build this church and to allow it to be recognized as a place where God works. I thought I'd like to project for you. I asked my people in the booth. I want to look at Job, the first chapter, for a few moments. And I'm going to say to you, in the second chapter of the book of Job, where Job is doing all of this suffering, unjustifiably so. He had not done anything to have to suffer the way he's suffering. He's an instrument of God that Satan is determined to take. And I said, that's what you got to watch out for. You become frustrated and want to throw it down, Satan's winning. We need to go to God for strength to be victorious or to allow God to be at work in us. And I, in, in considering this passage and in contemplation of this message, I, I saw another thing in Job that I had not necessarily saw as deeply as I tried to dig. Uh, God allowed Satan every chance at, at Job. 
If you think you can turn Job around my servant, have you considered him? Then help yourself because he is a man of integrity. He is a man I can depend on. Uh, Job, uh, the stated in the fourth chapter, after God had said, fourth verse of the first chapter, second chapter, after God had made this statement about Job's man of integrity, listen to what Satan says to God. Job ain't nobody. Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin. Yes, all that a man has, he will give for his life. Job ain't no better than nobody else. And he's in it all for himself. That's what he's saying, skin for skin. Uh, however, put forth your hand and now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. Job ain't that much as what you think he is. In other words, you take what he's got and watch how he acts then. He believes in you because you are supplying him. That's the only reason Job is with you. That's Satan's answer. I'll make him curse. He will curse you to his face. If you just withdraw from all this good stuff Job is getting. But then, uh, so the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is your power. He's in your power. Only spare his life. Now, my, my reading this passage this time and looking at it said something to me. God has taken his hands off Job. Now, we don't like to look at that, but that's what the passage clearly says. And he says to Satan, he's in your control, just don't kill him. Satan, from that, has power to inflict pain on me that I don't deserve. God never said that he was going to protect Job against sickness and an infliction of pain. So what I've got to be ready for, that God is standing by, depending on me and my faith in him to sustain. And he ain't going to come down and do nothing for me in that area. That's what I want to say. Because my background allowed me to believe differently that God comes to the rescue, taking all this stuff. And, and one of the reasons we pray to God is so we take care of all this mess out here. This passage clearly says, except for his life, he's yours. Now, I'm aware that your theology does not necessarily equip you to handle that, but it's still the case. He said, Job is a man of integrity. He will, out of his strength, sustain. 
And he's going to sustain not because I sustained him, because of his inward strength that comes from God that he lives by. So all of the trouble we get into in the world, and things don't go the way we ought to go, or they ought to go for us, which we have right to, every right to expect. I expect and have the right to expect utter fidelity out of my family. But that's open field for Satan. He can turn my wife against me. He can turn my children against me. Just don't kill me. That's what he's saying there. Now, I'm going to confess for you and with me the agony of accepting that as the reality of things because that's not the way I was raised to think about God. And all my reading about Job, I never read that passage that close. When he says he's in your hand, just don't take his life, now you can do anything you wanted to Job except kill him. And that puts me in a dangerous trying situation. But at least I now know that I don't look to God to keep myself from getting sick or keep my friends because Satan has the power to affect that. In Job, he was given power to inflict pain just like God could inflict pain. You've got every right to him. Do whatever you want. He's going to stand. And that's the great challenge this great church has. Do everything that you can that's right and favorable, encouraging and receptive to the community and all those whom you meet. But if they come back the other way, just keep pressing. And I'm going to confess that's a whole lot easier said than done. Because ever so often, ever so often, I with you ask God, why you let this happen? Job was on his own without divine protection. So are we. We are open season to Satan. And that's why God put us here because of the integrity that we have that even though we don't get the support that we ought to have and rightfully expect, we're still going to succeed for God. Now, I'm aware that's uh, trying to attract you to a more profound and deeper faith. I'm aware of that. But it comes from my meditation and study of the scriptures and trying to understand God. Nobody could have made me understand that the way I was raised in spite of how I read, except God himself. I didn't even read the Bible like it says because my training and exposure had developed me to think differently. He expresses great confidence, Paul does, and appreciation to the faith of the Philippian believers and prays that their love will continue so that, that first chapter of the Philippian letter, they could approve all, the, all, all things that are excellent, fantastic. I hope that your faith will continue so that 
we can approve all those things that are excellent so that they may be sincere and without offense until the day of Jesus Christ. Man, I love that to death, and I wish I could get it. I wish I could arrive at that level. But wishing to have it graduates you to another level. Paul moves on to call attention to how he is processing life himself. They're in prison. How that he is processing it for Christ, even though things seem to be going against me. I want to not build a tent here and stay, but I want to emphasize that. Your ability to work for the right that you know when you ain't got no company is a trying stone. Because we are a gregarious people, we like company. Man, it's much easier to preach for Simpson Street with a higher percentage for me than it is against me. When more people are saying amen, then I wish you'd sit down. Now, God gave me that thought. It just hit me. <laughs> I ain't picking on nobody. But I just want you to see the contrast we're in. We're in the contrast we're in that we're in this thing by ourselves with hopefully God accessing and receiving us. In other words, we got to do more of this than we thought we had to do. That part that we assign all that to God. You got to go back out there and take some of that stuff back and give it to yourself. That's what it says. God ain't never accepted it. He still ain't accepted it. He never said he would. Because God created me in his image and his likeness and gave me the strength to overcome. Paul was concerned about how those things were pressing in on his life, that here I am in prison and a very difficult situation for preaching the gospel of Christ. Verse 12 says, all that has happened. I'd like for you to look at that one when you get a chance, verse 12 in first chapter of Philippian letter. All that has happened unto me has fallen out rather to the furtherance of the gospel. And that's heavy stuff. Here is Brother Paul at the top of the sociological social ladder, perhaps a member of the Sanhedrin court, and a lot of other good stuff and recognition. The power to go to the authorities and the priests and get letters, go down to... Uh, uh, Damascus and bind all he found in the way. Excessive powers he had. He's given up all of that and he sits in prison for following the stuff that he took when he left those great positions. So we're not the first to lose and have to keep fighting. And he says, when I look at what has happened to me, it has all worked out 
for the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Man, it takes a lot of guts to even say that way he's suffering. Let's alone believe it. But look how God has dealt with him and what his integrity has brought him to understand. Closest we ever get to that seemingly is turn the other cheek, which we don't intend to turn. But we are tiptoeing onto that type of theology that I've got to be able to stand in the midst of pain and discomfort, Brother Eli, and discomfort and stuff I don't like and be able to see how this mess is working out for the furtherance of the kingdom. That's hard. Here I am destitute, cold Roman prisons, etc. Nothing that I think I deserve. But all of this stuff is working out for the furtherance of the gospel of Christ. You got to be able to see beyond what's before you to think that way. They take my house, they take my family, and they put me in jail and empty my bank account. And here I am sitting back here, well, all this is working out for the furtherance of the kingdom. That's hard to even think that way, let's all say it. But I want you to see the kind of guts the man got and what he's made out of. God has a person of high integrity on his hands. And he's able to see beyond the immediate oppression to what God is about in this world that I'm in through me. He's able to make the bad side of life, work out to his furtherance of the cause of Christ. Now you have a historical picture of that. The young Joseph in Egypt. He was the promise of, the, of, 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 of Jacob's family. The promise. Nobody had a higher potential than Joseph. And because of his expression and relationship and living out that promise, he moved beyond the understanding of his own parents. They couldn't understand that. He ends up in jail having, because he practiced integrity. Have you ever thought about it? If Joseph had only gone to bed with his master's wife, what happened to him may have never happened. But beyond that, he saw that the principles of divinity that was placed in him, which was really a part of his inheritance, has to take first place. Like a long-going friend of mine, preacher of the gospel of Christ some years ago, said that when your faith seems to grow weak and you've reached the end of the rope and don't know what to do, and we reach that point. He says, tie a knot on the end of the rope and just hang on anyway. Paul Settles of Houston, Texas. And that's what we have to do. Sometimes I don't know why I'm hanging in here. 
but I know I ought to be hanging. I can't explain it all, but I'm hanging anyhow. God's people always making a bad side of life work for God. God has us here so we can make the things that would not work for him work. And we can ill afford to be discouraged by evil. Accordingly, we are at work in our lives in this city and in this community looking for ways not only to baptize and affect membership and increases, but to turn this community and city to our God. That's what's first. You hear me asking and pleading about enhancing our attendance and our regularity and so forth? Sure, we need that, but that's the, the ultimate is not that. The ultimate and that needs to tie into that how we are getting God's will done. Let's have relativity. God expects this out of us and not out of himself. And we have that assignment. Now the impact of his bonds. Paul's in prison. My bonds in Christ are manifest in that all the, uh, in the palace guard and beyond. Here we come again. Here's this man sitting in prison and look at what his, his effect is having on the whole palace. That you would not have had at least not that way if Paul had not been in prison. That's how he says, I can see myself getting beyond some of the, the limiting parameters of life. And the thing that knocks me down about it, when you go back and read it, he says, two things happen. All of the palace guard knows about me. I see you laughing, Sister Ellis. That's beautiful, isn't it? All of the prison, all of the palace guard, they know about that guy, Paul, because of my faith in him. And I'm letting them see some things. God is allowing them to see some things that they would not have seen had I not been imprisoned. So I'm looking for the good side of life. I'm looking for what we can make out of what we got. The second thing that was important about Paul's faith and relationship, he says, resultingly, my brethren in the Lord, hear me please, my brethren in the Lord are waxing confident in my faith. Man, when they see what I'm doing, it, they turn the lights on in the castle. And I see all of this working out to our benefit. My brethren are increasing in faith. The whole palace guard knows about it because God is at work here. And I'm pleading and saying to you, it can't happen again in you. It has to do with our personal connection with God. And I remind you again, Paul got an example for that from nobody. It's all initiated in him, out there by himself. And never received as an apostle by many of his brethren. 
He describes himself as one born out of due season. And by God's grace, I am what I am. None of that restricted him. It opened his mind up to see these great things that God is doing. When I move in the, out of this community, I, I lose some of myopia, my, my, my optimism. That is, I see better. When you sit among your brethren and talk to nobody but your brethren, y'all believe everything y'all saying to each other, but the circle isn't big enough. When I relate and talk to more people beyond us, my vision is broadened. I see more about what's going on in the world, and I do just when I talk to two or three of my brethren who never visit anybody, who never say anything to any group outside. Their visions are limited. Hear me, folk, God is God of all this world. And you can't take 10 or 15 brethren who think they're famous among themselves and unknown outside their ponds and talk about what God's going to do in the whole world. You know, even though the world is out there. I ain't complaining, I ain't criticizing. I'm just talking about what we need to do. All of the intelligence God gave me, all the intelligence he gives you, that he puts into your system, ain't for you. It ain't for just you. Now, people in my age, grouping a little after me, were told that a number of times in public school. But we're not getting that message now. We are responsible to all of Atlanta, to all of the world, those who believe as we believe and those who do not believe as we believe. We still got to relate to them, hoping to gain them as credible members of God's church. But we can't do it through hating them. We got to love them. And how do you do that? That's difficult for some of us. We need to work on ourselves how to do that. Because you are on the spot for God. Why should he leave the canopy of heaven and come down and do it when he got you here? And this is what Paul cashed in on and saw that. I've talked to you long enough. And some have said too long. But we want to ask if there are those in our midst today who's willing to make adjustments in their lives and to solicit prayer to that effect of a rededication and recommitment to Jesus Christ. I think that God has challenged us to some real opportunities that the attitude represented by Paul needs to be considered. So if you're here today, a member of the Lord's church, and haven't walked as you ought to have walked, and today can make that choice and that determination, we ask that you come forward when we sing. If you're here not a member of the church, you never accepted Jesus Christ as Lord, why can you not today put him on in the water of a grave of baptism and arise therefrom to walk with him a new life? 
I believe that my preaching today constitutes the gospel. So I think you've heard the gospel, therefore. And you now understand the demands of God on your life. I spent a lot of time pressing that, and I believe that with all my heart. Are you willing today to turn your life away from the direction in which it is going and make it fully subject to Jesus Christ? That's what we'd like to see you do, and God would welcome you. Repent of your sins. Confess Jesus Christ as Lord of life and your Lord. And put him on in baptism as a certification that you made that pledge to which you will be faithful. That's all I can do. That's all I can ask. It is your charge and your responsibility. Brother Dan Sims has the invitational hymn ready. And we're going to ask that he stand with the congregation and lead us in our hymn of invitation as the elders come before us today. Jesus is tenderly calling thee home. Calling today, calling today. Why from the sunshine of love wilt thou roam? Father and father away. Oh, his calling today. His calling today. My Jesus is gone. Is tenderly calling today. Jesus is calling the weary to rest. Calling today. <coughs> Bring him thy burden and thou shalt be blessed. He will not turn thee away. 